0: blog talk radio
1: all right sports fans how's everybody out there doing william martin coming at you one more time here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 pounds of sports knowledge show as always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, I guess call the guest call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of October twenty second, 2017, I can gladly once again tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air now we are up to week number seven in the 2017 national football league season and things have still been pretty muddled as for the most part no real team has really been able to separate themselves from the pack and we saw some more shockers today there were several shutouts around the league there were some few a few close games and there were a few topsy-turvy events as well. And with that said, I want to get things started off in an AFC East showdown as you had the 3-2 and two Miami Dolphins hosting the 3-3 three and three New York Jets. And the Jets were able to march right down the field all fresh off of the opening kickoff as they were able to put together a five-play 75-yard drive, which is capped off when quarterback Josh McCown found wide receiver Jermaine Curse on a 29-yard touchdown pass to give the JETS 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 the early 7 to nothing advantage. Now, Miami would come right back and immediately respond with a five-play, 75-yard drive of their own, and this ended when quarterback Jay Cutler found wide receiver Jarvis Landry from four yards out to knock the score at 7 apiece. Now, just before the first quarter ended, New York put together an eight-play, 75-yard drive, and this was capped off when McCown found wide receiver Robbie Anderson from 18 yards out, and Anderson took it upon himself to go celebrate in some of the seats with the fans at Sun Life Stadium in Miami as the Jets took a 14-7 lead to the second quarter. Now, midway through the second quarter, Cutler connected with tight end Anthony Fasano from four yards out, and this capped off a 10-play, 70-yard drive for Miami to not the score at 14 apiece. Now after a Muhammad Wilkerson interception set the Jets up with first and goal from the 1-yard line. McCown called, and called his own number from a yard out, and just before the half, the Jets were able to regain the lead at 21-14. to Now, late in the third quarter, New York was able to extend that lead when McCown connected with tight end Austin Safarian Jenkins from 10 yards out to give the Jets the 14-point advantage at 28-14. to However, the fourth quarter would belong to Miami as Cutler went out with an injury and he was replaced by Matt Moore, and Matt Moore led a Dolphins rally. Early on in the fourth, Moore connected with wide receiver Kenny Stills on a 28-yard touchdown pass to make it 28-21. Now midway through the fourth, it was more connecting with Stills again. This time from two yards out, as Miami would tie the score at 28 apiece. And after a McCown interception late in regulation, it was the right leg of Cody Parkey who connected from 30, from 39 yards out to give Miami their first lead of the game. And the Dolphins would go on to win this contest today by the score of 31 to 28. Now you look inside of the numbers, and Josh McCown was 17 of 27 passing for 209, with three TDs and one pick. Of course, that was a very costly pick for the Jets, and he was sacked three times, with two and a half coming of uh, those coming from Dolphins defensive end Cameron Wake. Now Jay Cutler, before the injury, was 12 of 16 passing for a buck 38, with two TDs and a pick, while he was sacked twice. While Matt Moore in relief was 13 of 21 passing for a buck 88 with two TDs and a pick. Jairus Landry came up big today for Miami with seven receptions for 93 yards and a touchdown grab, while Kenny Stills had six receptions for 85 yards with two TDs of his own. And you look at Miami, and that was a – it wasn't – it didn't look like it was a big hit Uh, The Jay Cutler sustained, but it did enough damage to get him out of the game. And, you know, there were some Dolphins fans down there and Sun Life Stadium who were cheering not for the Jay Cutler injury, but due to the fact that it marked the Matt Moore uh, sighting because there have been a lot of fans that follow the Miami Dolphins that, you know, really want to sit up there and they want to see Matt Moore play because they are not sold on Jay Cutler. And, I mean, for Jay Cutler, what can you say? This guy had already retired, and, you know, typically when you have your foot out the door, it's tough to get, you know, going once again. But at the same time with Jay Cutler, it's a situation where if you look at his career, there really hasn't been a lot to excite people as far as what Jay Cutler did. And, you know, he's still the same Jay Cutler. And, you know, because of that, you really can't get excited for him. You look at this Dolphins team, they, like I've said before, and I'll say it again, Miami needs to continue focusing on running the football. They have a solid defense, and they have some good playmakers in their passing attack, led by one Jarvis Landry. On the flip side for the Jets, you're 3-4. This was another game performance, I think Todd Bowles, their head coach, does deserve a lot of credit. Granted, Josh McCown is not the quarterback of the future for the Jets, but this team has really taken to heart the fact that everybody wrote them off earlier in the season now new york is now one in three within the afc east but they fought scrapped and clawed in all of those games you look at their loss to buffalo you look at their loss to the patriots last week and then of course their loss to the dolphins today whom they did uh beat a few weeks ago at metlife stadium in east rutherford this team is fighting this team is scrapping this team is clawing and i think they are going to continue to do that for the remainder of the season. Now, looking ahead to week number eight for both of these teams, it is going to be a very short turnaround for Miami, as they will be on the road this Thursday night to take on the Baltimore Ravens, while New York will be at home to host the Atlanta Falcons. Now, moving right along, in Chicago, you had the four and two Carolina Panthers traveling to take on the two and four Chicago Bears. And midway through the first quarter, A option pass from Cam Newton to rookie Curtis Samuel was fumbled and Bears defensive back Eddie Jackson picked it up and returned it 75 yards for the touchdown to give Chicago the early seven to nothing lead. And early on in the second quarter, it was that guy again, Eddie Jackson, as this time he intercepted Cam Newton and this time returned it 76 yards for the t d to give Chicago the fourteen to nothing lead, this game would go on to be a defensive stalemate, and in the process, Chicago would score the upset victory over Carolina by the score of 17-3. to This game was dominated by the defenses as Carolina was only able to muster 293 yards. But with that, Carolina did have a pair, three turnovers, rather. I mean, you look at the game, Carolina really dominated the stats. They held the football today for more than 38 and a half minutes. They had 21st downs compared to just five for the Bears, and they limited of his Bears offense to just 153 yards. But Carolina simply could not get it done as far as scoring points. Cam Newton was sacked five times today while he threw two picks, and that simply ain't going to get it done. And for Carolina, I don't know what they're doing because one week they'll look good, and then the next week they'll come back and lay an egg. And Carolina had extra rest for this contest. They went up to Chicago, and they flat-out stunk offensively because defensively I'll tell you like this it is very hard to lose to a team that only number one attempts seven passes in a game and number two only completes four passes in a game and that is what Carolina did today as Mitchell Trubisky the Bears rookie quarterback was just four of seven passing for a buckle seven and he was sacked four times but this Carolina squad simply could not get it done and this is on the offense And more importantly, it's on Cam Newton. Because I see a guy back there, and two years ago, Cam Newton helped the Panthers make the Super Bowl. And this was a guy, he was the MVP of the league, and he looked like he was turning the corner from being an athlete at the quarterback position and being one of the better ones in the game. Ever since that Super Bowl loss, Cam Newton has regressed. And the Carolina Panthers – Are a team that, as Cam Newton goes, so do their fortunes. And right now, if Cam Newton is not playing well, the Carolina Panthers aren't going to beat a lot of teams. And I'll tell you like this: for the Chicago Bears, this team was supposed to be bad as a when the season began. But for all of those teams that think they're simply going to put their cleats on the field and beat the Bears, that is not the case. Because yes. The Bears are a young team, but they are fighting and playing their butts off for head coach John Fox. They got Pittsburgh earlier in the season. They upset the Baltimore Ravens on the road last week, and today they got the best of the Carolina Panthers, and they did it going away with their defense. So anybody out there who simply thinks that the Bears are just going to be a pushover and they can go out there and defeat them, think twice because it is not happening. Now you look ahead to week number seven, For both of these clubs, Chicago will be on the road next Sunday afternoon to take on the New Orleans Saints, while Carolina will be on the road again, this time to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now you had the 2-3 and three Cincinnati Bengals traveling to the Steel City to take on the 4-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers. And Pittsburgh was looking to keep the momentum going after they knocked the Kansas City Chiefs from the ranks of the undefeated last year. And Pittsburgh did a good job of that as they took the opening kickoff of this contest and marched down the field on a 9-place 75-yard drive, which is capped off when quarterback Ben Roethlisberger connected with wide receiver Antonio Brown on a seven-yard touchdown pass to give the Steelers the 7 to nothing advantage. However, just before the first quarter ended, the Bengals would rally as quarterback Andy Dalton connected with wide receiver Brandon LaFell from six yards out to knock the score at seven apiece. Now, Pittsburgh would get the ball to begin the second quarter, and they would march down the field on a five-play 75-yard drive, and it was capped off when Big Ben found rookie wide receiver Juju Smith Schuster from 31 yards out to give Pittsburgh the 14-6 lead. However, the Bengals were not ready to yield in this contest as they came right back with a 12-play 75-yard drive of their own, and it was capped off when quarterback Andy Dalton connected with tight end Tyler Croft from one yard out to not the score at 14 apiece. However, the rest of this contest would belong to the Steelers' defense and their kicker, Chris Boswell. Boswell would go on to kick five field goals in this contest while the Steelers' defense would flat out shut down this Bengals' offense, and Pittsburgh would go on to get the 29-14 victory. And when I say Pittsburgh was able to shut down the Cincinnati offense – the Bengals only had 179 yards of total offense in this game to go with two turnovers. And plain and simple, that is not cutting it. You look inside of the numbers, and Big Ben was 14 of 24 passing for 224 yards or two TDs, and Noberg had 152 yards on the ground with 134 of those coming from Le'Veon Bell on 35 carries. And I'll tell you like this for the Steelers. When they are focused, they can beat Anybody, anywhere in the National Football League. We saw a focused Pittsburgh Steelers team last week, and we saw a focused Pittsburgh Steelers team today as well. And I think it starts with the fact that Pittsburgh has to run the football with Le'Veon Bell. No if ands, or and buts. They have to run the football. Le'Veon Bell had 35 carries today. I know Big Ben has a good arm, and I know he can do damage with that arm. I know that. Antonio Brown is one of the better wide receivers in the game. But when LB is on top of his game with those carries coming out of the backfield, that is what makes the Pittsburgh Steelers go. And that is something that Steelers offensive coordinator, Todd Haley is going to have to keep doing for this stretch. I mean, no team is really cemented themselves as the team to beat in the AFC right now. So if you're Pittsburgh, you might as well try to go out there and take that mantle And have yourself the opportunity to at least get a first-round buy, and if not just get a first-round buy, get home field advantage. Because like I've said before, that has been the thing that has hurt Pittsburgh in the playoffs. You look at the last few years. They had to go to Denver, and they lost. And last year they made the AFC Championship game, and they had to go to New England. and It was the same thing. They lost. So if you were Pittsburgh, you want to try to go out there and secure a home field advantage and take care of your business. For the Cincinnati Bengals, this was an opportunity for them to get right back into the race in the AFC North, and they were unable to do it. Pittsburgh is the better team, and in each aspect of the game today, they flexed their muscles and showed that. Now, you look ahead to week number eight for both of these clubs. Cincinnati will be at home when they host the Indianapolis Colts, while for Pittsburgh, the Steelers will find themselves next Sunday on the road versus the Detroit lions. Now moving right along, you had the two and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to take on the three and two Buffalo bills. And if you had, you had to wonder if things would stand as they were because Tampa Bay has yet to win a game on the road while Buffalo has not lost a game at home this season and it was a field goal fest after the first quarter as Tampa had the 6-3 to three lead. But early on, Buffalo would put together a 12-place 78-yard drive in the second quarter, which was capped off by a one-yard run from LaShawn McCoy, his first touchdown run of the season to give Buffalo the 10-6 to six lead. Now, in the third quarter, Buffalo would extend that lead when quarterback Tyrod Taylor would connect with former quarterback and now tight end Logan Thomas, on a 22-yard touchdown pass as the Bills extended their lead to 17-6. Tampa Bay would come right back as quarterback Jameis Winston would find rookie tight end O.J. Howard from seven yards out to make the score 17-13. It was 20-13 in favor of Buffalo early on in the fourth when Winston would connect with O.J. Howard once again, this time from 13 yards out to knock the score at 20 apiece. Tampa Bay would keep the momentum going as late in the fourth quarter, they put together a 10-play, 54-yard drive, and with just over three minutes left, James Winston found wide receiver Mike Evans from 12 yards out to give the Bucs the 27-20 lead. However, the Bills would rally and put together a quick three-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a seven-yard run from Shady McCoy to not to score at seven apiece. And after a fumble, by Bucks wide receiver Adam Humphreys, the Bills were able to get into field goal range and with fourteen seconds left, Steven Houska connected on a thirty yard field goal to give Buffalo the thirty to twenty seven lead, and the Bills would go on to win this contest this afternoon by the score of thirty to twenty seven they look inside of the numbers and Jameis Winston was 32 of 44 passing for 384 yards with three TDs and a pick while Tyrod Taylor was 20 of 33 passing for 268. LaShawn McCoy did have 91 yards on the ground while as a team Buffalo was able to have 173 yards rushing. OJ Howard is making his case to be the NFL's offensive rookie of the year as he had six receptions for 98 yards and two TDs while Mike Evans had five Seven receptions rather for 88 yards on a TD, and Deshaun Jackson had five receptions for 73 yards. And for the Buffalo Bills, they came out of their bye week, and you know, their defense had really been setting the tone. This game was a little bit different because they faced an offense that was a little bit more high octane, but at the same time, the Bucks have had issues stopping people and Buffalo was able to take advantage of it. And I give the Bills credit because Tampa Bay got on one of those rolls. They were down 17-6, to six, and it was 20-13, uh, to 13, and then they scored two consecutive touchdowns. And if you go back to last week versus the Cardinals, Tampa Bay got on that roll in the second half, and then, of course, you know, they made a game of it after Arizona had jumped out to that big lead. So Tampa was right in their element uh, coming back like that. But Buffalo was able to rally. And I think that is, the, number one, the poise of quarterback Tyrod Taylor. Number two, the belief in what their head coach, Sean McDermott, is doing. And that is really something that we did not see from this Bills team in 2016. This team really believes in everything, and they're going out there and trying to make it happen. And for the flip side, for the Bucks, it's another tough road loss. As Tampa came into the season with playoff aspirations, You're going to have to find a way to win on the road, regardless who you play. And until you're able to do that, you're really not going to be a legit playoff contender. Now, looking ahead to week number eight, Tampa will be at home when they host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. While for the Bills in week number eight, Buffalo will find themselves at home once again, this time to face the Oakland Raiders. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 3 and 2 New Orleans Saints traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the 4 and 2 Green Bay Packers. And New Orleans was looking to take advantage of the fact that Green Bay would be without quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who was recovering from that broken collarbone. But early on, the Packers offense did respond as they took the opening kickoff and they marched down the field on a very quick five play 75 yard drive and was capped off by a 46 yard run from running back Aaron Jones to give them the 7 to nothing advantage. Now, early in the second quarter, New Orleans' offense would get going. They put together a 7-play, 53-yard drive, which is capped off by a 12-yard run from running back Mark Ingram to knock the score at 7 apiece. However, Green Bay would immediately respond by putting together an 8-play, 75-yard drive, and this was capped off by a 14-yard run from quarterback Brett Hundley and Green Bay would take a 14-7 lead into the locker room at the half. However, in the second half, the offense of New Orleans would get going as they took the opening kickoff of the second half and marched down the field. And Drew Brees connected with wide receiver Brandon Coleman from 22 yards out to make it 17-13 to as Will Lutz did miss the extra point. Lutz would redeem himself later on in the third quarter by connecting on a 28-yard field goal. And after Green Bay had taken lead early in the fourth quarter, 17-16, to 16, the rest of the quarter belonged to the Saints, first with a Will Lutz field goal, and then with just under five minutes left, Drew Brees was able to put this game on ice with a one-yard touchdown plunge as New Orleans was able to go on the road this afternoon and get themselves the 26-17 victory. And you look inside of the numbers. And Drew Brees was 27-38 passing for 338 yards with a TD and two picks while he was sacked once. Brett Hundley was only 12-25 of 25 passing for just 87 yards with no TDs and a pick. Now, Aaron Jones did have 131 yards on the ground, while as a team, Green Bay had 181. But then you look at the Saints' offensive numbers. Mark Ingram had a buck 05 on the ground, while Ted Ginn Jr. had seven grabs for a buck-41, and Michael Thomas had seven catches for 82 yards, and that was the difference in this game as New Orleans was able to go on the road and get the victory 26-17. to 17. And ever since the Saints started off oh and two and they look like it was, they were going to have another long season down there in the bayou things have really gotten turned around and this team not only has the ability to make the playoffs but they also have the potential to win the nfc south and i'm going to say something that we have not said about the new orleans saints in a very long time it starts with their defense this is where this whole turnaround has begun on the defensive side of the ball their front seven gets after people. And that's something that we have not been able to say about the Saints in several years. And honestly, you have to go back to their Super Bowl championship team of 2009 and the playoff teams that they had in 2010 and 2011 to really find the last time where New Orleans was able to get after teams defensively. And that has not been the case in a very long time. But as long as the Saints are playing defense like this and Drew Brees Is going to continue to throw the football like he can. They definitely have more than a puncher's chance to win the NFC South. Now, for the Packers, life without Aaron Rodgers begins. And like I said before, and I said it last week, if this team is really going to rally around Brett Hundley, it's going to take the other 52 guys to do their part. The running game was there, but the defense could not slow down New Orleans. When they needed it and right now without Aaron Rodgers the defense of the Green Bay Packers is going to have to be lights out now looking ahead to week number eight for both of these clubs New Orleans will be at home to host the Chicago Bears while Green Bay will find themselves in week number eight with a bye week now moving right along you had the three and three Jacksonville Jaguars traveling to Indianapolis to take on their AFC South foes in the Indianapolis Colts. And Jacksonville went out there, and they put the Colts out of their misery early. The Jaguars took the opening kickoff and marched down the field on a statement made, 12 place, 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a one-yard run from Chris Ivory to give themselves a 7-0 lead. Now, later on in the first quarter, It was quarterback Blake Bortles connecting in the back of the end zone with tight end Mercedes Lewis on a five yard touchdown pass to make it 14 to nothing. And that was all that Jacksonville needed this afternoon as they cruised to the 27 to nothing victory. And this was a dominating win by Jacksonville. I know that the Colts have their struggles right now, but like I said, credit to Jacksonville for going out there and handling their business and putting this team out of their misery early. The Jags had more than 500 yards of total offense while limiting uh, Indianapolis to just 232. Jacksonville was able to dominate in spite of the fact that they had two turnovers. And when I say dominate, it was their defense as the Jags defense sacked Colts quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, 10 times today. So, if your quarterback is getting sacked 10 times, you're not winning the contest. There's no, there's no even uh, debate on that one. Blake Bortles was 18 of 26 passing for 330 yards with a TD and no picks for Jacksonville, while the Jags had 188 yards on the ground with 122 of those coming from T.J. Yeldon. And this was important due to the fact that there was no Leonard Fournette at running back today for the Jags. And this team went, went out there and dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. And I think that comes down to their coaching with head coach Doug Marone. And I think it also comes down to, you know, having Tom Coughlin in the front office because ever since Tom Coughlin came back, there's been a culture change in Jacksonville. And the young guys that have had potential for several years are beginning to show that potential. And for Jacksonville, as long as they are able to run the football and as long as they are able To not have to make Blake Bortles beat teams by himself, they have a very good shot. Now, on the flip side for the Colts, what can you say? I mean, there's no Andrew Luck. There aren't a lot of playmakers on this team, and they're 2-5, and and I really think that Indianapolis should be thankful for those two victories because the rest of the victories this season are going to be few and far between. Now, you look at their uh, schedule for both of these clubs – Heading into week number eight, Jacksonville heads into their bye week on a very strong note, while Indianapolis will find themselves next Sunday afternoon on the road versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, this evening at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, you had the 1-5 New York Giants who were looking for their first home win of the season, taking on the 3-2 and two Seattle Seahawks. And Seattle was dominating the action for most of the first half, but a fumble by Thomas Rawls was scooped up and returned by Landon Collins deep into Seahawks territory, and it set up the Giants for a touchdown early on in the second when quarterback Eli Manning connected with former Ole Miss alum and rookie tight end Evan Ingram on a five-yard touchdown pass to give New York the 7 to nothing advantage. Now it was 7-3 to three in favor of the Giants heading into the dressing room at the half, and their defense was really keeping them in the game as they really struggled on offense, again, and I'll get to that in a minute. But midway through the third quarter, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson was finally able to break through as he connected with wide receiver Doug Baldwin on a 22-yard touchdown pass to give Seattle their first lead of the game at 10-7. to And early on in the fourth quarter, the Seahawks defense forced a fumble by Giants quarterback Eli Manning, and that is when the floodgates opened up as a trickeration began for Seahawks offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel as he had an option a pass to his halfback who fed it back to Russell Wilson who found Paul Richardson, who won a tug-of-war, with giant safety Landon Collins on a 38-yard pass, and Seattle would extend their lead to 17-7. to And with just over two minutes left in this contest, Russell Wilson would connect with tight end Jimmy Graham from a yard out, and Seattle would go on to cruise today to the 24-7 to victory. And you look inside of the numbers, Russell Wilson was 27-39 passing for 334 yards, Uh, with three TDs and no picks while he was sacked one time, while his counterpart, Eli Manning, was 19 of 39 passing for a buck 31 with one TD with no interceptions, and he was sacked one time. Doug Baldwin torched the Giants secondary today as he had nine grabs for 92 yards and, of course, that touchdown reception. And for the Seahawks, you know, for the first half, it looked like they were sleepwalking at times on offense, and they were going to allow the Giants to pull off the upset. Because, honestly, if you watch this game, Seattle dominated. And the final score really wasn't indicative of what we saw today. But in the second half, Seattle was really able to turn it on. And once they got that fumble and once the Giants uh, missed a field goal on on one of their drives, that really changed things. Because you look at New York right now. We know about the injuries that they have. They simply don't have the ability to keep up with teams on offense the talent simply isn't there and it's due to the injuries and the and the attrition so if you are a team that's facing the Giants you want to go out there and take them out early we saw what happened last week where Denver was unable to do that and the next thing you know the Giants got themselves their first win of the season Seattle saw that film and I think for the first half they really didn't pay attention to it but they really cranked it up in the second half and they did what they had to do and for the Giants, it was a gallant effort. They went out there and gave it everything that they had. But like I said, they simply don't have the firepower on offense. And I mean, the the Giants had struggles running the ball coming into the season. So now you're asking Eli Manning to do it out there with guys who are practice squad guys and some guys who might not, they shouldn't even be in the NFL at all. But this is what he has to work with, and it's not going to get better anytime soon for the Giants passing game. The defense is going to have to uh, pitch shutouts throughout the rest of the way for the Giants to win contests, and I simply don't see that happening enough uh, for them to be a contender this season. Now, for week number eight, Seattle will be at home to host the Houston Texans, while fortunately for the Giants, they will have their bye. Now, over in jolly old England this, uh, today, you had the 4-2 and two Los Angeles Rams taking on the 3-3 and three Arizona Cardinals in an nfc west showdown and arizona would dominate the early stages of this game but they had to settle for a pair of greg Zerline field goals to make it six to nothing but midway through the second quarter the floodgates began to open up for the rams as todd Gurley put together an 18-yard touchdown run to make it 13 to nothing and after the rams defense started to force turnovers and they knocked Uh, Cardinal starting quarterback Carson Palmer out of the game they put this contest away as it was 23 to nothing at the half and Los Angeles would go on to get the 33 to nothing victory today and I talked about Carson Palmer with the injury he suffered a fractured left arm and more than likely this could be it for his 2017 campaign now Drew Stanton did replace an injured Carson Palmer, quarterback for Arizona, and he did not fare too good as he was just 5 of 14 passing for 62 yards. But you look at this Rams offense, and it starts with Todd Gurley. Gurley is running like he did in 2015 as a rookie for the then St. Louis Rams as he had 22 carries today for a buckled six. And as a team, the Rams had 197 yards on the ground. Now Jared Goff was 22 of 37 passing for 235 with a touchdown and a pick. But I think it all comes down to the running game of the Rams and their defense. And that is really going to carry them. And now you have a Rams team that is five and two. And I think it is time that people really begin to pay attention to the Rams, not only as being a playoff team, but being the team that could win the NFC West because the San Francisco 49ers aren't doing anything. They're, going to be top two in next year's draft and you look at the arizona cardinals no david johnson you go out and sign a veteran and and, uh, running back adrian peterson but you can't expect ap to consistently be the guy that he was several years ago then you look at the seattle seahawks and you know in the second half of the season seattle always gets on one of those runs but you just have to ask yourself is it going to be enough this year because the Rams are looking real good right now. So the Rams at five and two, I think they have a legit shot to win this division. And, you know, for the Cardinals, it's unfortunate that Carson Palmer went out with the injury, but, you know, their head coach, Bruce Arians, has been able to keep things together via the old spit and glue format. But one thing that the Cardinals won't be able to overcome And that is the injury to Carson Palmer. And if he is out for the year, you might as well just start uh, preparing for 2018 if you are the bird game. Now, Arizona and the Rams will have their bye in week number eight. And, of course, the Rams, when they come back in week number nine, they definitely want to try to keep that momentum going for themselves. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626 231 Zero three zero nine. I repeat, six two six two three one zero three zero nine. Now moving right along, you had the three and two Denver Broncos traveling to Carson, California, to take on the two and four Los Angeles Chargers at midway through the first quarter. The Chargers got the scoring going as Travis Benjamin scored on a 65-yard punt return to give them the seven-to-nothing advantage. Midway through the second quarter, Chargers quarterback Philip Rivers would connect with Austin Eckler from a yard out as this capped off a nine-place 65-yard drive to give the Chargers the 14-to-nothing lead. And late in the fourth quarter, it was Travis Benjamin again. This time, he was the recipient of a 42-yard touchdown pass from Phillip Rivers to give the Lightning Bolts the 21-0 advantage. And the Chargers would go on to win this contest today by that same score. And the Chargers did this in spite of the fact that they only had 242 yards of total offense. However, they only held Denver to 251 yards, including forcing three Broncos turnovers and I talked about those Broncos turnovers one of those came from quarterback Trevor Simeon as he was intercepted while also being sacked five times by this Chargers defense and I'll tell you like this a lot of people are comparing this Chargers team to the one in 1992 that began the year with a record of 0-4 and then they went 11-5 and in route to winning the AFC West. And this Chargers team, they started off 0 4, and they had some very tough losses. You go back to week number one, they lost on Monday Night Football to the Denver Broncos after a missed field goal. They lost via a missed field goal, and week number two at home to the Miami Dolphins. And this team has rallied. They never gave up, and I think that is a credit to their head coach, Anthony Lynn, and, of course, their veteran quarterback and Phillip Rivers. And it wasn't looking pretty good for the Chargers a few weeks ago, but right now this team is right back in the thick of things in the AFC West, and anything, and I repeat, anything can happen coming down the stretch. And for Denver, they were looking so good a few weeks ago, but you see it now. They're not the same team away from Mile High, And they went out there and laid an egg versus the Giants last Sunday at home. And honestly, when you face bad teams, you got to go out there and put them away. And I think the Giants did a good job of exposing the Denver Broncos because if Denver is not able to consistently and effectively rather run the football and Trevor Simeon has to beat teams with his arm, this is not the same team. So now – the Char- I mean, the Broncos, rather, have been exposed. They were once again relying on their defense, and that simply is not going to cut it. And now you have a Chargers team that is right there breathing down their necks in the standings. The Raiders are trying to hold it together, and you still got the Kansas City Chiefs and the AFC West. So as good as Denver looked in the first few weeks of the season, there's a good possibility that this team doesn't even make the playoffs here in 2017. Now you look ahead to week number eight for both of these clubs, Denver will be on the road to take on the Kansas City Chiefs next Monday night, while the Lightning Bolts, fresh off of wearing their powder blues today, will be on the road next Sunday afternoon to take on the New England Patriots. Now, in the Bay Area, in Santa Clara, you had the winless San Francisco 49ers taking on the 2-3 and three Dallas Cowboys. And Dallas came into this game fresh off of their bye, and they wanted to get, get some momentum for themselves heading into the second half of the season. And Dallas really took care of that early as in the early stages of the uh, first quarter when Ezekiel Elliott punched it in from a yard out to give the boys their early seven to nothing advantage. Now, midway through the first quarter, Ezekiel Elliott would score again, this time from 25 yards out as Dallas had the 14 to nothing lead. Dallas was well on their way to cruising to this uh, victory in this contest and the only thing uh, – the only really thing to focus on if you were a Cowboys fan was the fact that place kicker Dan Bailey left this contest with a groin injury and defensive back Jeff Heath had to go on to kick the extra points. He did miss two, but he did convert on two as well as he had plenty of opportunities to practice his extra point today as the Cowboys cruised to the forty-two ten 10 victory. And it was tremendous balance on offense for Dallas as they had 265 yards in the ground with a buck 47 coming from Ezekiel Elliott on 26 carries and a pair of TDs. Dak Prescott was 16 of 25 passing for 234 yards with three TDs and no picks, while his counterpart and rookie quarterback C.J. Bethard was 22 of 38 passing for 235 yards. And for Dallas, this was a big victory. I know that the 49ers have yet have yet to get a victory this season, but it was a big victory nonetheless for Dallas, and the reason why is this. You're fresh off of your bye, and Dallas has shown that sometimes they play down to the level of their competition. And if you're if you're the Cowboys, you, you were two and three, you really didn't have that much margin for error if you are still looking to contend with the Philadelphia Eagles for the top spot and the NFC East. So it was important for Dallas to go out there and take care of their business. And like I always say, if you've got a team that you're supposed to beat, go out there and dominate them early, put them out of their misery, and get focused on your next competition. Now, for the San Francisco 49ers, they had four consecutive close games where they lost by three points or less. And, you know, what more could the Niners do? They were right On Heaven's Gate, so to speak, as far as getting the victory. But, you know, the bottom fell out for them today against a good Dallas Cowboys team. Dallas put it on them early. And because of that, San Francisco simply was never able to recover. Now, you look ahead to week number eight for both of these clubs. And for San Francisco, they will be on the road next Sunday afternoon to face the Philadelphia Eagles, while Dallas will find themselves on the road again, this time versus their Washington Redskins. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now at MNT Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, you had the 5-2 and two Minnesota Vikings taking on the 3-3 three and three Baltimore Ravens. And this was a field goal fest in the first half as Minnesota took a 9-6 to six lead into the dressing room. And the field goal uh, parade would uh, continue to start the third quarter as Vikings place kicker Kai Forbath connected on his fourth field goal of the game. From this one from 43 yards out, and the Vikes were up 12 to 6 however the floodgates would begin to open up for this minnesota offense and later on in the third quarter latavius murray scored on a 29 yard run to make it 18 to 6 and this vikings defense would go on to stymie this baltimore ravens offense for the remainder of the afternoon and minnesota would go on to get the 24 to 16 victory at home Looks like we have a caller, so I'm going to bring the caller in. Caller, welcome to the
0: 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Bryce calling from Brooklyn.
1: Hey, how you doing, man?
0: Doing good, man, doing good. So I heard you talking some football. Thought I would call in, can't stay on too long, but wanted to call in and um, just talk about my, my Steelers against the Bengals today
1: yeah you know i i talked about them earlier you know it's it's funny because you have perfect timing because i was talk- just talking about another an a f c north team right here in the Ravens and how they uh you know they lost on the road today versus the, the minnesota vikings and i mean where or oh, where has the Baltimore offense gone i mean they didn't score last week they scored a touchdown on a literally on a final play of the game today and that is not going to cut it. In the AFC North that they want to really contend with the Steelers. And, you know, what? I, the one thing I did say about the Steelers earlier is something that you and I have talked about before. This Pittsburgh team can beat anybody in the NFL anywhere, anytime, when they are focused. And we saw a very focused Pittsburgh team last week when they went to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs. And we saw a focused team today with Pittsburgh because again it was fourteen to fourteen at one point and then from that point it was Pittsburgh's D and it was their kicking game with Chris Boswell. But I think the biggest thing for Pittsburgh today, Le'Veon Bell had thirty five carries. I know you have Big Ben. I know you have Antonio Brown but Le'Veon Bell is the engine for this team.
0: I oh I agree with you. Um I mean, look, and, and I think we may have talked about this before. If Ben is the closest thing to Elway we've seen in style and play, when Elway got older, he had Terrell Davis. And if they get mm-hmm. this tailback signed for a length of time, you know, he's on the franchise tag, this is what he will be. Um, he, I mean, he's, he, he runs a little differently than TD, but no less effective. I mean, he, he is a dynamic football player. They can, build, they can do so much around him. And then really just, you know, not to be cliche, but the offensive line. I mean, they've done such a great job over the past three or four years of drafting and developing offensive linemen. They were down a starter at right tackle. I thought, you know, Chris Hubbard, he struggles a little bit, but he's serviceable. They come up and just pound you. I mean, it's old school football. It's heavy personnel. Um, and then they, you can do so much off of it. And I want I want Todd and Ben to just continue to build the passing game around that. Um Right. And I think they will, but but good performance today, um, offensively, just move the ball up and down the field, you know. Struggle, still struggling short yardage, with red zone, short red with wacky play calls and, and that stuff. They got to clean that up. But the pass but yeah, good, 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 solid performance. That defense, that pass defense, I thought was really. They were they were close in the first quarter, in the first half. But in that second half, boy, that pass defense, they made great adjustments. Good job, there, Keith Butler. And they unleashed the corners a little bit. And Pittsburgh got a tandem that are not to be played with. Joe Hayden is Joe Hayden. I'm not saying he's top three, but that's a good NFL corner. And they found that out. He saw too many of them off-key passes over there, he might get one.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Joe Hayden. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, typical Cleveland Browns. I mean, you have a guy – who's a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, and you simply cut him. And then not only does he get cut, but then he gets picked up by a team in the same division. And it's just like, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers probably just looked at this like, thank you, and, you know, it was crazy because, like, the Steelers weren't the only team that was in the running for Joe Hayden. But I guarantee you when Joe Hayden got that uh, phone call from a Pittsburgh area code and the Steelers were not only willing to pay him, But then he had an opportunity to compete against the Browns in the same division. And I use the term compete very loosely because obviously, you know, it was over from the Browns from the opening kickoff of week one. But it's a situation still, you know, he gets an opportunity to face the Browns twice a year. And now Joe Hayden is going to get an opportunity to do something that he has not been able to do in the NFL and that's compete for a title because, I mean, don't get me wrong, this guy won a national championship in college in Florida, so he knows how to win. It's just going to the wrong organization because the culture is deep there right now for the Browns in regards to losing. And now you go to the opposite end of the spectrum with a team in the Steelers who are contending for a playoff spot every single season, and like I said before, and and you and I have talked about this in previous shows as well, Pittsburgh's just got to go out there. they got to take care of their business in the games that they're supposed to win because you're looking at it right now. They're 5-2. If they finish tied with Kansas City, they get the tiebreaker. But now you also have to focus on New England because if you're – I mean, Pittsburgh has the ability to go on the road and beat the Patriots, but if you're the Steelers come January – you want New England to have to get on a plane and fly to you and face you. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, we saw it in the last two years. They had to go to Denver in 2015 in in the divisional round and lost. And then, you know, they had to go the wild card route last year, at least the wild card round, because they won the AFC North. And, you know, they got to the AFC Championship game versus the Steelers. And, I mean, their their D couldn't stop Tom Brady. But then on top of that, that game really changed once Le'Veon Bell got hurt. So, I mean, if you're Pittsburgh, you don't want to have to, face, have to have that extra game, man, because, I mean, we saw it for two years in a row what it did to them. I mean, you go back to the wild card game a few years ago when Antonio Brown got knocked out versus the Bengals and then he couldn't play against the Broncos. And to me, honestly, I thought that really changed that game. So, if you're Pittsburgh, go out there, take care of your business – Against the teams that you're supposed to beat, and instead of being ten and six, you could be thirteen and three, and at least get a first round bye, and that could change, you know, your whole outlook for the month of January.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, to me, to me, New England is still is still the team to beat because it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Um, right. Much as I, much as I hate to say it, but I tell you what, this Pittsburgh team, you know, when I watched them today. I mean, look, it's the Bengals. I've, I've always I always tell people, don't trust the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, they look good on paper, but I think in between the lines, they're missing something. They don't have a lot of moxie. Um, I think they're not built to win, um, particularly if they sustain injuries. You know, their guys at the two, three, four spot, uh, there's a drop-off. You know, every team has drop-off, but some more than others. And I think you saw that today. I mean, when you look at the Steeler defense, I thought – You know, Bengals made some plays. I didn't think it was because, you know, Pittsburgh was shooting themselves in the foot. I think they were making the Bengals play straight up. And the Bengals hung in there until about the middle of the second quarter. (laughs) And then, you know, okay, you get a six-point lead, and then you come out in the second half after adjustments. You don't turn the football over and you play straight up and they just can't. They don't have enough to hang with this defense anymore, particularly with the two corners Pittsburgh has. It allows them the flexibility to do different things with rush and coverage. That front seven is a nasty. And when they get after your passer now, with, with T.J. Watt, who I tell you what, this kid, he's a lot further on than I thought he was. I'm very surprised. I'm happy to say I was wrong. I thought maybe it was more, more of a project. But the motor, you can't coach some of the things he does. He's got good size. Right. He knows right. how to use his hands, and he is relentless. You just can't coach some of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, they're young, fast on defense, but they've got to clean up some stuff. Goal line defense. They play five snaps of the goal line defense this year. to given up five touchdowns. That is terrible. <laughs> they've got to do better. And, you know, red zone play calling, short yardage play calling and execution, just not good enough. So there are things where the Pittsburgh – Steelers need to really work on But it's good to do it when you're 5-2 mm-hmm.
1: Yeah I mean it's always Easy like you just to piggyback off of What you just said it's easy uh, to Easier rather to correct your flaws After a victory uh, I mean I, I will say this about the Bengals You talked about their issues I Think it starts and ends with their owner Mike Brown because oh, you know, he's Established he's established that culture There and we've seen it uh, for Far too long because the Cincinnati Bengals I don't think I don't think Marvin Lewis gets enough credit and I know, you know, he's always going to have the cloud over him because he's never won a playoff game. I guarantee you if Marvin Lewis went to another organization and coached, I think people would appreciate him a little bit more. But I mean, once you have that once you're under that umbrella of the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, what can you say? Now, I will say this about the Steelers. Them getting TJ Watt, where they did in the first round, was a gift. And I don't know if I've ever right. said this to you, but I'll, but I'll say it to you right now. Typically, a big reason why you see the teams at the end of the first round have success is because the teams at the beginning of the first round of the draft have absolutely no idea what they're doing because they're taking mm. because you figure if you're in the top ten of the draft. You really can't go in there with the mentality and say, well, let's take the best player available. Because if you're picking in the top ten, it means that you had a bad season and it meant that you had several needs. So it doesn't make sense to take a running back when you really need a left tackle, you need a defensive tackle, you need a corner, and you need a wide receiver. And that's what a lot of teams in the top ten do. And you get a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers where they have guys falling to them that should, should have gone a long time ago You know, it's kind of like, you know, really, is this guy still here? And when I saw – and you probably thought the same thing that I did. When I saw T.J. Watt get selected by the Steelers, I'm like, well, you know what? The rich got richer. (laughs) And, I mean, now you get a guy like you talked about his high motor, and he's going to keep coming after you. And it's – I mean, I I don't – I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but I will say this. You remember when the Steelers uh, drafted Troy Polamalu – and defensive coordinator Dick LeBeau was really just licking his shops because he had so many different ideas of how to use Paul Amalu on defense, and it really showed up, you know, especially during Pittsburgh's first Super Bowl win uh, with Bill Cowher, and it was because, you know, a lot of it was what they were able to do defensively, and you looked how they lined up Paul Amalu all over the place, and I think they're going to have that opportunity with a guy like T.J. Watt because of his motor and because of what he brings, and then you bring in a guy like Bud Dupree, I don't think that Ryan Shazier gets enough credit for being a solid uh, middle linebacker. And I think, you know, bringing in a guy like Joe Hayden really, really begins the process of cleaning things up on that back four for Pittsburgh. And that's the thing you look at Pittsburgh. They can beat Kansas City, regardless if it's in Pittsburgh or KC. They know that they can beat uh, oh, yeah. Kansas City. And then on top of that, in a playoff situation, I don't care if it's the Chiefs or the Eagles, you always know that Andy Reid is always going to make one or two questionable calls in a key game that, that that's going to hurt his team. So I think right. Pittsburgh knows, knows that they can beat Kansas City. It comes down to New England. And the thing is with the Patriots – you're not going to outscore them for the most part. I know that they don't have Julian Edelman this year, but as long as they have Gronk and Brady, you're really not going to outscore them. So you have to try to, you know, limit, their touchdowns and make them kick threes instead of in, in, instead of sevens and you do that by having guys that can match up especially you know in the red zone and you get a guy like joe hayden right. joe hayden can still get it done at the, uh at the quarter at the cornerback position rather you know have him right. lining up with a guy like chris hogan or uh danny Amendola, you know changes that but i think for pittsburgh they just got to find a way and, and keep getting these guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that can get out there and wreak havoc on people. And like I said, you keep Le'Veon Bell healthy and you keep Big Ben and A.B. healthy. And I like Pittsburgh ch- Pittsburgh's chances. I'm not saying – I'm not making it a slam dunk to say, you know what, they're going to beat New England. But I really think that if Pittsburgh is healthy and if Pittsburgh is focused – there is a very very good shot for them to get to minnesota in february because honestly you peel back the surface in the afc for what it's worth i still say it comes down to pittsburgh and new england i i I say those are the two teams and after that it's wide open
0: well, I agree. I think New England number one right now, Pittsburgh, definitely number two. They're clear number two. I always keep it to New England. I respect them. I don't like them at all, but I respect them. <laughs> um, to your point about why, you know, that's interesting. I felt when I'm watching the draft and he was falling to us, I'm like, this is where he was actually kind of projected to go. And I'm like, okay, they need a right outside backer. James Harrison's getting older. Is this guy ready to go now, though? He seems like he got mm-hmm. a lot of upside. He's got pedigree only played outside backer one year, but he's very athletic. I'm like, okay, I get the pick. He's not going to be ready to go for a year or two. And when, you know, Harrison is an older guy, so he doesn't take a lot of camp reps. Still has decided, you know what, we're just going to put him out there with the ones and see what he does. And he never relinquished it. And I got to be honest, in this defense, playing outside linebacker as a rookie, I, I'm just surprised at how ready he is. You know, they talk about pedigree with his brothers being in the pros. And a lot of times I think a lot of that is junk. Just because your brother can play doesn't mean you can. But it just seems like the way he works out, the way he's prepared, how he's been able to play the pro game, how he uses his hands at the position, it just shows he's been coached up before he even got there. <laughs> like he was built for this. And, I mean, I'm like, whoa. Now we'll see if he hits the rookie wall, but, I mean, he's in great shape. He, he, dude, his motor, you watch this guy. He's going on the fourth quarter like it's the first quarter. I'm like, that's a dangerous combination. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong because I clearly was wrong about his early season con- contributions. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's really going to come down to when they start playing better quarterbacks, you get Matthew Stafford coming up. You know, they will play Tom Brady. Um, they're going to have to do that. So, I've, you know, they'll see Andy Dalton again, who's, you know, a good starting quarterback, not elite, will never be elite. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, but when you look at teams like the Bengals, t- to your other point, Marvin Lewis and that culture, but look at the roster, yo. I mean, people get enamored, but ask yourself who on that roster has a chance to go to the Hall of Fame? None of them. Nobody. The closest guy is Geno Atkins. He's got that yeah. t- type of talent, but really, like, none of them do. It's like I feel they are hyped up because people like all oh, the Bengals, you know, because on paper usually perfect and Pacman and A.J. Green, maybe A.J. Green number two. I, I, I think he's got that type of talent. But that's it. It's a roster filled with, okay, these guys can play, but no one I'm looking at like, wow, we've really got to, we've really got to, that guy right there can just wreck us. No, A.J. Green's that guy. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah, I'm not really, yeah, the Bengals are the Bengals. I'm not really like, oh, man, we beat the Bengals. It's like, okay, we beat the Bengals. They're a good team. We, you know, we move on. We play the best quarterback we're going to face so far this season in Matthew Stafford, who I would take over Andy Dalton any day of the week. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I, I agree with you on that one. I yeah. I, I All right, man. I, I def- All right, man, as always, man. It was yeah. a pleasure talking to you, man.
0: Yep, always great talking football with you, man. Talk to you later.
1: All right. Same here, man. Take care. Now, uh, moving right along, you had the 3-3 three and three Tennessee Titans traveling to Cleveland today to take on the winless Browns, and for Cleveland, they were seeking, obviously, to get their first win of the season, and you had to wonder if they were going to keep up a tough fight versus the Titans, and this was a game that was dominated by defense as it went to overtime at the score of 9 apiece. And all of this came on the right legs of the kickers. Ryan Suckup for Tennessee and one Zane Gonzalez for Cleveland. However, this contest went deep into the overtime possession. And all with two minutes left in overtime, it was a right leg of Suckup as he connected on a 47-yard field goal to give uh, Tennessee the 12-9 victory. And it wasn't a pretty victory for the Tennessee Titans as they only had 80 yards of rushing. And that really, you know, isn't what the Titans are all about. Marcus, because they they really have to run the football effectively. Marcus Mariota was 21 of 34 passing with no TDs and no interceptions. And he was sacked twice. The Browns did roll out two quarterbacks in this contest, and neither one of them were good. As Cody Kessler and Deshaun Kaiser combined to go 22 or 39 passing today for 218 yards with no touchdowns and three interceptions and if you're the titans you wanted to try to keep pace with the jacksonville jaguars for the top spot in the afc south and you know it was a little closer than what you might have wanted it to be if you were uh the titans but the bottom line is you went out there and got the victory And for the Cleveland Browns, what can you say? This team uh, consistently goes out there, and they lose. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Browns only have three guys on their roster aged from age 30 and up. The Browns only have three guys on their team with postseason experience. So these guys don't know what it takes to win in the National Football League. And until they get... Guys in that locker room that can change that culture, you know, their struggles are going to continue, it's plain and simple. Now, Tennessee heads into their bye week for week number eight, while Cleveland will find themselves – Next Sunday afternoon, or actually next Sunday afternoon, they're going to be in London, or Sunday morning, rather, to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, you look at the standings in the AFC East, and you currently have a three-way tie with the Patriots, Bills and the Dolphins and of course New England is currently in action on Sunday night football as they have a 17 nothing lead over the Atlanta Falcons at the half. The Jets are right there at three and four and granted the Jets are now one and three within the division but they still play the Patriots and they still play the Bills and the Jets are still going to have an impact on who wins this division. Pittsburgh I think is ready to run away with the AFC North. They're 3-0 within the division. Two of those victories came on the road. Now they got to go out there and take care of their business at home within this division. But like I just said, the thing with Pittsburgh, they got to go out there and take care of their business. Why? Because they need to get at least a first-round bye in the postseason. The AFC South, I said it before and I'll say it again, the first team, to eight victories, wins this division. You have Tennessee and Jacksonville – both uh, with a record of uh, four and three while Houston has their bye week this week, but the Texans aren't going away. And unfortunately for the Colts, uh, the NFL draft can't get here quick enough, especially since they still do not have the services of Andrew Luck at quarterback. And the AFC West a few weeks ago, a lot of people were saying that this was the best division in football, but now Kansas city is uh, five and two and after their loss to the Raiders. You have know, the Denver Broncos at 3-3, three and three, but don't look now, but the Chargers are right there. L.A. has won their last three games, and they're 3-4, along with the Oakland Raiders. Now, of course, the Eagles and the Redskins have that big one on Monday Night Football tomorrow night. And if Washington can't win that contest, I think Philadelphia is going to get ready to steamroll this division. Dallas is right there at three and three, but I really don't see them being a factor, especially if the NFL finds a way to reinstate the suspension for Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. Now, the Vikings are five and two in the NFC North. You have the Packers who are four and three. They've now lost two straight. And the Lions are an interesting team, but don't count out the Chicago Bears. They've won two games in a row. They're three and four, and they are really fighting and hanging tough for head coach John Fox. Now in the NFC South, New Orleans is four and two. And if Atlanta cannot come back in the second half, they're going to be three and three, while Carolina is four and three. And if there is a team that is ready to take advantage and take the reign, so to speak, in this division, that right now the way that the defense of the Saints is playing, it has to be them. Then in the West you have the Seahawks who are 4-2, the Rams are 5-2, and, and it's going to be a two-team battle because Arizona can't win without Carson Palmer. So it's bad enough for them to struggle without David Johnson, but they really cannot win without Carson Palmer. And Of course, the Rams and Seahawks do play once more this year up in Seattle, now you look at the overall playoff standings, and right now you have Pittsburgh and Kansas City each with a record of five and two while New, uh, Buffalo is four and two Tennessee's four and three they're leading the south New England's four and two that could change uh, within an hour or so uh, depending on how their uh, game ends with the Atlanta Falcons. You also have the Miami Dolphins at four and two. you have Jacksonville at four and three, and you have several teams in Denver and Houston at. Three and three, and on the flip side in the NFC, Philadelphia is looking good. They're five and one, and a victory tomorrow night could make them six and one. You got Minnesota and the Rams both tied with a record of five and two, while New Orleans is fourth with a record of four and two. And your two wild cards right now would be Seattle and Atlanta. Washington is right there with a record of three and two, but that could change after tomorrow night based on their contests. And then you have Green Bay and Carolina each with a record of 4 and 3. So there is definitely a lot to still be decided here in 2017 in the NFL season. And looking ahead to week number 8, it, the action begins this Thursday night when the Baltimore Ravens will host the Miami Dolphins. And for Baltimore, you have to get some semblance of order going on offense cuz the Ravens simply are not there. They didn't have any touchdowns last week. They they had to wait to the last play of the game versus the Vikings today to get, a, uh, to get a touchdown. That's not good, especially if you want to hang around in the postseason picture. For Miami, more than likely it's going to be Matt Moore under center. And I'll tell you like this, this team has more cohesion on offense when he is running things as opposed to Jay Cutler. Now next Sunday morning in England, it's going to be the Minnesota Vikings getting it on with the Cleveland Browns and the Browns haven't been able to win in a, in the United States this year. So maybe their luck will change in jolly old England. It's going to be an old AFL matchup as you're going to have a three and four Oakland Raiders traveling to take on the 4-2 and two Buffalo Bills. Oakland won't have the services, more than likely, of running back Marshawn Lynch after he made contact with a game official. And for Marshawn, he is appealing the decision, so we'll wait and see what is going to be his outcome. Now, the Bills are a different team at home. They are 3-0 and at New Era Field, while Oakland is 1-2 and away from home. It's going to be the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Bengals have shown some fight. But I want to see what type of fight that the Colts are going to show next Sunday. Because, again, quarterback Jacoby Brissett was sacked ten times today. That's not getting it done. So this Colts offensive line has to step up their game heading into week number eight. It's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers taking on the New England Patriots. And, of course, we're still waiting to see this, the outcome of the Sunday night game with New England. But you look at the Chargers, and this is a team that they are really beginning to believe in themselves, and they do have some momentum on their side. Next Sunday in, in the Superdome in New Orleans, you're going to have the 4-2 and two Saints hosting the 3-4 and four Chicago Bears. And after slow starts for both of these clubs, they have really gotten things rallied. But I want to see how the Saints defense is going to be able, or if they can, rattle the youngster at quarterback for the Bears in Mitchell Trubisky. Next Sunday afternoon at MetLife State Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, It's going to be the three and four New York Jets hosting the Atlanta Falcons. And after the Sunday night affair, it's going to be a 1 o'clock start on Sunday afternoon for Atlanta. Will they be ready to go? Because I still say that this team has a hangover from their Super Bowl loss. You're going to have the winless San Francisco 49ers traveling to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, and I want to see how the Niners get back and start playing more competitive football after they were embarrassed today at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys. A big one in the NFC South is you're going to have the Carolina Panthers taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Carolina's offense was just limited to three points today, and I want to see what you know, what formula that the Panthers are going to come up with for next Sunday afternoon because what they did today in Chicago simply did not get it done. It's going to be the Houston Texans taking on the Seattle Seahawks, and Houston enters this game fresh off of their bye, and will rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson be able to figure out one of the best secondaries in the game? It's going to be a classic NFC East meeting next Sunday afternoon. You're going to have the Dallas Cowboys traveling to take on the Washington Redskins. And for Dallas, it's plain and simple. Run the football effectively with Ezekiel Elliott. Next Sunday night, you're going to have the 5-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to take on the 3-3 three and three Detroit Lions. Now, Detroit had their bye week here in week number seven, and they want to get back into the win column. And I think it starts with the right arm of quarterback Matthew Stafford. But will this defense of the Lions be able to slow down the attack on offense of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And finally on Monday night, you're going to have a classic AFC West matchup with the 3 and 3 Denver Broncos traveling to take on the 5 and 2 Kansas City Chiefs. And after the 2 and 0 start, the Broncos are reeling and this season could be ready to get away from them very quickly. So folks, that is going to wrap it up for the action here in week number 7 and as always, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning into the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com now we'll be back on the air next monday uh, next sunday night rather same time 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m on the west coast as i will be recapping the action from week number eight in the nfl now if you're on twitter please feel free to follow me at 300 pounds of sports and like i always say if you follow me it will be my pleasure to follow you right back Also, there is the Facebook page at 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. You can check it out, and you are more than welcome to like it as well. You can also continue to check me out on 300PoundsOfSportsKnowledge.com. And like I always say, I am the total sports package for the total fan. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without none of this good stuff uh, that you're hearing, it won't be possible. Now, always a much love and a big-time shout-out to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. She just enjoyed her first birthday, and I wish her the happiest birthday and many more to come in the future. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care, have a wonderful night, and thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on (laughs) blogtalkradio.com.